When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Saturday Story Circle, always on the Mutual Audio Network. The following audio drama is rated G for general audiences. Hail and well met. I'm guessing you're wanting shelter from the storm, right? Well, it is a cold night out there. Why don't you pull up a chair by the fire? I have just the thing to pass the time. A story. I call it The Golden Door. This is part one. Welcome to the Lavender Tavern my friend. In the small town of Wolfwater, every door was always open to Finn, except for one. Finn, or Phineas, as his parents had named him, went from a hefty, cherubic, smiling baby to a husky, inquisitive child, a large and awkwardly private teenager, and then into his current incarnation as a broad-faced, wide-shouldered, large-bellied man. He was fat. Fat. The word was fat. He hated the terms the townspeople and even his parents were forever using to get around saying fat. Husky, big-boned, full-figured, large. No, he was fat, and they were not. Wolfwater had been through a terrible crop failure and famine in the year when Finn had been born, and the memory had imprinted a certain asceticism on the town and the townspeople. They rushed from task to task, ate light, simple food, and poured their energies into tilling the fields and harvesting the crops so that there would never be another famine. But Finn... Sometimes he thought that the famine had imprinted itself on him in another way, as he lay in bed at night, hands clasped over his belly. He liked to eat, to savor the elements of a meal. Even the simple meals his mother prepared over the fire, though they were too simple, with few spices, and often overcooked or underdone. When he turned twelve, he insisted on helping her with the meals. You can sit back and relax, he said, while I make supper for the family. Anna, his mother, was a tall and thin, nervous type who could not relax. But she used the time while he cooked to fret over him. He could not pull a plow or stack sheaves or carry wood. It was simply too much for his body in the heat of the summer. But Finn could cook. Even though Anna told him not to use up the spices, to make the dishes smaller, to leave some for later, he baked 
vast meals from the simple meat and potatoes and root vegetables they had available. Finn would try to draw his parents into conversation over the dinner table, but his father Marin was hungry from the fields and ate whatever Finn put in front of him. Anna was too worried about gaining weight to eat much. Look at Finn, she thought. Look at Finn. So he was usually left alone to eat the remains of the dinner, staring thoughtfully out the window and thinking of an infinite number of dinners, a myriad of fantastic meals made from ingredients he'd only ever heard about. Even though he could not work the fields, people liked Finn. He had a broad, easy smile and was quick to pitch in with whatever non-physical help he could provide. The housewives and househusbands appreciated his advice on recipes and how to stretch a meal when there wasn't much food. All the doors in Wolfwater were open to him, from the town's gathering chamber to the shack that sat by the lake and held paddling boats and oars. All the doors, except for one. In the temple, at the back of the main room, there was a golden door that led... somewhere... Finn did not know where it led, and he could not find out. Because Finn could not physically fit through it. The door was as narrow as his mother. As narrow as all of the other townspeople, actually. Finn would have used his hands to take its measure, but Abriel the priest did not like people fiddling with a golden door. It could not be more than a hand's breadth in width. The other townspeople could only fit through by turning sideways, taking a deep breath, and wriggling their shoulders until they popped through into... uh, somewhere. When Finn had been a child, like the other children, he hadn't cared about the temple or the golden door. He had heard the stories, knew that it led somewhere, but it was a mystery. Like why the birds left towards the end of the year and came back every spring. Instead, as a child, Finn always dreamed of cooking, and dreamed of having his own tavern and inn. Anna, for she was less nervous back then, joked with him that they would have to call it Finn's Inn, and he laughed and laughed. Then he grew older and laughed less. The others his age started to wonder what was behind that golden door, and he did too. Only... At some point, they were able to cross the threshold, and he was not. His belly got in the way. If he sucked in his belly, his chest pushed out too far. The sides of the door scraped against him and left bruises, but he could not pass through the golden door no matter what he did. Abriel let him try three times. The priest thought that three was a reasonable number. Each time, Finn tried desperately to see beyond the golden door, see where the other town's people were going, but there was a golden corridor just beyond the door that turned and twisted, and beyond that he could see nothing, only the bruises on his chest and belly the next day from his three attempts. What always galled him was that nobody would tell him what was behind the door, not his parents, not his best friend Celine. Nobody. Everyone had an excuse for why they couldn't tell him. His parents told him to wait until he was older. Abriel the priest told him only true believers who could pass through the golden door would be able to find out. And Celine? 
Celine, a tall, red-headed woman who was as thin as he was fat, would simply look at him with a sad smile. "'I am sworn to secrecy,' she said one day as they sat in the village square, eating a hand meal he'd prepared and watching the townspeople hurry by. "'We've known each other since you sprained your ankle that time and I took you to the healer,' Finn protested. "'Surely that counts for something.' Celine ate another dainty bite of the hand meal. He was proud of the dish, a stew of beans and mead and sauce that was bound up in a light pastry. One could eat it anywhere, without making a mess of one's hands or clothing. It's wonderful, but that's all I can say. I'd get in trouble, she said at last. And someday, you'll find out for yourself how wonderful it is. He looked down at his ample proportions under the rough cloth and sighed. Then, looking at the hurried townspeople, he said, Do they never slow down? Do they never stop to think? The men and women passed before them herky-jerky, as if they were in a shadow play put on by an amateur puppeteer that had no idea how fast or slow real people walked. Wolfwater was built in such a way to encourage this. All of the streets ran straight and true, with no detours or curves. Shops and other places of business were set in from the street so that there was no reason to stop or dawdle. Finn half-closed his eyes and saw the townspeople as a blur upon the buildings. "'If they could only see,' he murmured. "'There is all the time in the world, if only they were to take it.' Celine shot him a look and got to her feet. I have to buy my mother a bolt of cloth. I had nearly forgotten. Then her sad smile returned. Oh, and I am becoming one of the hurrying crowd, but I'm afraid I don't have all the time in the world. I won't forget you, Finn, even if I outpace you. And she was gone. Finn tried to return to the golden door to see if he could fit through one more time, but Abriel the priest stopped him at the door to the temple. You are not ready to go through, Abriel intoned. When you are, you will be able to pass through it. This he spoke as if it were a mental trial, but Finn knew better. There was only one way to pass through the golden door. A relative passed away and left his parents some money and a house. And when Finn came of age, they helped him with his dream, turning the abandoned house into Finn's Inn. He called it the Inn at first, since Phineas's Inn didn't sound right either, but everyone ended up calling it Finn's Inn. At Finn's Inn, he hosted lodgers and those who came to drink and talk and play cards, but the real purpose of Finn's Inn, the reason he'd always dreamt of it, was to serve food. The type of food he wanted to serve. Heavy stews of lamb and goat, aromatic with spices from cities across the sea, accompanied with cream potatoes and cheese sauce, and loaves of rye with freshly churned butter that melted in the bread's peaks and valleys. Wolfwater was not a large town, and it was far from the trade winds and caravans. As a result, there were few visitors, 
except for some merchants who passed through and left quickly once they realized the townspeople had little appetite for luxurious satiny fabrics or scented jewels. At first, the townspeople came out to support Finzen, and he had a crowd every night the first week. But they left their dishes piled high with uneaten food. His portions were too large. Finn tried cutting back, but by then the townspeople had decided that Finn's inn had seen enough of their patronage. And why should they eat at an inn when they could eat more cheaply, more quickly, and more healthily at home? Celine sat at a table every night and ordered a different dish each time. You'd watch her from the bar as she poked at the food with a spoon and took bird-sized bites of it, face lighting up with pleasure, but never really surrendering to the meal. Then, when he came over to ask how it was, she'd praise it and say, Could you pack it up for me, so I may take the rest home? There was so much. Every night, a package for her to take home. Finn imagined an endless stack of lovingly wrapped bowls of stew, shepherd's pies, cassolettes, chops, ugh, crowding Celine out of her own home. He knew she was there out of friendship, nothing more. As teenagers, they had experimented and kissed and tried more, but she discovered that she liked women just as he liked men. Celine had her eyes on the blacksmith's daughter, but of the men who liked men in Wolfwater, Finn knew only of Calabas, the wild-haired town drunk who fought ceaselessly with his stick-thin partner Yoav. He could depart for another town, of course, but he had promised his parents he would stay as long as he could keep Finn's in afloat. The townspeople he thought that night after Celine had been the only one to visit, had abandoned Finn's inn. Finn ladled himself some stew from the pot that had served nobody else and sat in the empty inn, drawing the spoon through the stew. I'm not hungry, he thought. I do not wish to eat my stew. And when he forced himself to try a spoonful, he could not eat a second one. He felt depressed, and the stew tasted bad although he knew it was a fine stew. Over the next few weeks, Finn tried hanging a sign outside the inn, and then he tried putting up a sign in the village square, and then he desperately tried to convince Abriel to let him put a sign up inside the temple. But Abriel told him that inns and drink and hearty foods were the province of men and not gods. Then... One morning, Finn unlocked Finn's inn and turned his body sideways to enter the inn door as he always did. Only, he no longer had to turn sideways. His shoulders grazed the sides of the oaken doorway, but he could enter it without turning. When he knotted the drawstrings of his apron behind his back, the ends were longer than usual. He parted around the kitchen, but did not taste the food he was making for he had no appetite. Having no mirror, he could not see what was happening, but he saw it reflected in the eyes of the townspeople. Where they had once rushed to and fro in front of him, now 
they would sometimes stop to talk to him and ask him how his day had gone. Even Calabas the drunk grinned toothlessly at Finn from across the village square. Finn's parents were all smiles. Finn, you look wonderful, Anna said. Marin said nothing, but stole looks at Finn while he made supper for them. A supper Finn did not want to eat. Finn did not feel particularly wonderful, but he did like the smiles and the compliments. Celine had her usual sad smile for him and told him at their next meeting, You've lost weight. Finn, how did you go and do that? I don't feel like eating. Isn't that strange? She prodded him in his lessening stomach. Watch yourself, Master Finn. If you drop too much weight, you will lose yourself and disappear entirely. But Finn did not feel as if he was losing himself. He felt as if he was becoming himself after all the years of his life. The drawstrings on the apron became longer, and as winter turned to spring, Finn needed a rope to keep up his pants. The looks and compliments of the town people were like honey to his ears, and he would sprint to Finn's inn and slam the door behind him, blushing and smiling. One day, one of the farmers that supplied him with vegetables fell ill, and his son, a strapping young man named Drawn, came instead. Finn had spoken with Drawn before, Curt conversations where the man made Finn feel like he was wasting his time with inquiries, and the gods forbid he should want to sample the vegetables before he bought them. This time was very different. Once the horse and barrow were parked by Finn's inn, Dron looked at Finn, then smiled. You came to show me your vegetables? Finn prompted him. Yes, vegetables. Drawn said. Then, snapping his fingers, he nodded and pointed to the display in the barrow. Luscious red tomatoes and emerald green snap peas that looked fresh to the point of still ripening on the vine. Are these to your liking? Finn did not know what to say. In times past when Drawn's father had been ill, the vegetables Drawn showed him had been of middling quality. They look... Fine, Finn said. Drawn packed up the vegetables Finn pointed to and wrapped them in sackcloth. Then, he surprised Finn yet again by offering to take them down to the inn's root cellar. Normally, Finn would have to haul the sack himself, stooping and panting with the exertion. He followed the farmer's son down into the cool cellar, and Drawn busied himself putting the vegetables upon the shelves with the potatoes and turnips and peppers. Drawn even straightened up the vegetables Finn already had, and it finally occurred to him that Drawn was stalling for some reason. As to the matter of payment, Finn said, clearing his throat and looking at Drawn meaningfully, Drawn's father would only accept gold in hand. Credit was foreign to him. Next time, Drawn said, and smiled again. Next time I come, you can pay me. Don't worry about it. His eyes stayed on Finn, more than Finn's face. His gaze roamed about Finn's body and made him feel peculiar, as if he were a vegetable at market 
being examined for suitability in someone's stewpot. I'll pay you now, Finn announced. Credit, his father Marin had told him many times, was the start of the road to ruin. He had managed to run Finn's in on a gold-only basis so far. He took out a gold piece from the sack at his belt and passed it to Drawn, who rubbed it with his fingers but made no move to go back upstairs. Finally, Drawn asked, Are you busy this coming rest day? Finn imagined that Drawn's father might have more wares to sell, that they might come back with different vegetables, and, knowing Drawn's father, most likely with vegetables that were very close to being spoiled. I have no plans as yet. Would you like to go to the river? Drawn asked. Finn was not usually slow, but it had taken him up until this moment to get Drawn's point. The looks, the attention, the payment on credit. He was unused to such a handsome young man paying attention to him. He was not interested in Drawn. The farmer's son was like a beautiful meal that gave no sustenance. But it was such a novel experience that Finn accepted. They spent the day at the river, and when Drawn offered him a meal that he had brought, Finn refused. He did not wish to eat. Drawn spoke of crops and the land and minerals and horses. Finn spoke of cooking times and wooden spoons and baking pans. Drawn wished to see him again, but Finn kindly told him he was too busy with the business of the inn. As the days passed, if Finn's stomach complained, he pretended that he did not hear it. If, sometimes, stirring a hot stew after a long day, he felt dizzy and broke into a sweat, he pretended that he did not feel it. He measured himself with hand wits and lay in bed, ignoring the growling of his insides, dreaming of the golden door. And it came to pass, in late summer, that Abriel knocked at the door of Finn's inn. Abriel did not enter the inn, but from the outside, he suggested that Finn come to the temple. With trepidation and pride, Finn went to the temple the next day after gathering up the courage to do so, feeling that the eyes of the townspeople must be upon him. The golden door seemed wider than he remembered. Finn angled himself just so, and took the deepest breath he'd ever taken, and tried to shrink himself in his mind so that he was nothing more than a flat fin, a fin on a sheet of parchment, and he wriggled and pushed and felt his bones scrape across the doorway. And then, after a timeless moment, he was through the golden door. As he had seen so many times from the wolf-water side of the door, there was a golden corridor that took him three steps to cross. He rounded the corner in anticipation, but then stopped with a gasp of recognition. It was the last thing he would have expected, and the first thing he should have guessed. A tavern. Where Finn's Inn was squat, low to the ground, and welcoming, this tavern had walls that soared to a high ceiling. Paintings with splotches and dashes of color hung from the walls. Golden light streamed in from the windows that seemed to look out onto a forest. There was no forest around the temple, however. 
The tables were narrow and long, thin slabs of white surrounded by simple but elegant wooden chairs that made the chairs of Finzin look like something carved by a childish orc. Men and women sat at the tables, a selection of the townspeople of Wolfwater, talking and laughing, and sometimes, rarely, eating. From where he stood, Finn could not see what they were eating, but he could see the man who had cooked the food. He stood in the kitchen to one side of the eating area, a kitchen of long counters, bowls and ladles, and ingredients placed in precision. The man was surrounded by his own halo of light, and Finn thought he was the most beautiful man he'd ever seen. Yes, beautiful. It was an odd word to assign to a man, but it fit this one. Tall and slender, pale, pale skin, penetrating green eyes, and long, blonde hair tied up in a topknot. This so as not to get in the food, Finn thought. A good twenty years older than Finn, with wrinkles at the corners of his eyes. Finn saw an empty spot between two villagers at a nearby table and started towards it. He noted that the men and women who were eating ate very slowly, picking at the food delicately, putting down their spoons and knives between bites, spending more time talking than eating. Welcome, friend. The tall man was at his table before Finn had finished sitting down, and Finn nearly jumped in surprise. Might I offer you something to eat? he asked in a deep voice. He looked at the dishes on the table in front of him. The man to Finn's right was eating a series of green discs perched upon a few drops of red sauce. The woman to Finn's left was holding her spoon, deciding whether to lift a brown cube, blue sphere, or yellow pyramid from her plate to her mouth. I do not know any of these dishes, Finn said. But I'm sure that whatever you serve me will be delicious. The man looked at him curiously, then bowed. I am Valeri, he said. I won't be but a minute. As Valeri returned to the kitchen, Finn smelled the sense of cooking on him. Not the pungent garlic and gamey meat and yeasty bread that he knew, but spices from the tropics, sharp, tangy scents he could not place, and a more subtle scent that must be that of Valeri himself. He had never seen Valerian Wolfwater. Running his finger along the thick table runner, Finn mused that Valeri must live here, or else he traveled to the temple every day from another town. Finn realized that this last was impossible. He would have seen him at least once all these years. So, Valeri lived in this set of golden rooms, cooking golden dishes for golden people who were able to pass through the door. The dish Valeri set down drew Finn's eyes, a maze of lines made of straight noodles of various colors, surrounded by squeezed lumps of what Finn thought must be mashed and cooked vegetables. Everything was perfect. Everything was in its place. Finn took his spoon and, feeling Valeri's eyes on him, imitated the actions of the other diners and delicately brought a tiny portion of food to his mouth. 
Many years before, Finn had once drunk a cup of tea that he had mistakenly salted instead of sugared. The anticipation of the sweet tea had made the salt taste all the worse. He did not want to spit out the food that Valeri cooked. He did not want to insult the beautiful man who was waiting by his side with anticipation. I'm so glad, Finn said, that I've had the chance to taste your food. Valeri nodded, hands busy in a way that Finn remembered from his mother's anxiety. I hear you have a small inn in Wolfwater, he said. A small inn, Finn thought. Yes, it was nothing to compare to these golden rooms. You must come sometime, he replied. I'll give you a tour. And show you how real food is cooked, he thought, resting his hands on his almost vanished belly. That night, in Wolfwater, Finn confronted Celine when she came to the inn for one of her now weekly suppers. Why didn't you tell me? he demanded. Why didn't anyone tell me? She had her sad smile on, and involuntarily, he looked around Finn's inn. The darkness of the room, the low tables and blocky chairs. This was a tavern of the world, not of the temple. Finn, she said, ever since you were a child, you told everyone... Me, your parents, all of Wolfwater, that you wanted to open a tavern or an inn. This is your heart's desire, right here, and nobody wanted to wound your dream with a golden arrow. He sat on the stoop of Finn's inn after he closed that night, watching the eternal stars wheel in the sky, and the occasional falling stars sketch a line towards the ground. His meaty hands were balled into fists. They knew. They had known all along, he thought, the people of Wolfwater. And they'd chosen Valeri's tavern over Finn's inn, even though it had no name. Valeri's food over his food, no matter how tasteless it was. He was sad. And then he became angry at the betrayal. And then... He had an idea, and he went back into Finn's inn and started looking at all the ingredients he had, the meats and the spices and the vegetables and the breads. They didn't think that his inn was special like Valeri's Golden Tavern. So Finn would put on a meal, just one meal, the meal to end all meals, forever. And he would show the people of Wolfwater that they were wrong. Well, it's getting late. The next time you come back, I'll tell you the rest of the story. Tonight's story was told by Joe Cruz. Find our credits Merch and more stories at LavenderTavern.com Interested in having your short story told at the Lavender Tavern? Submit a copy of your writing to us at www.faustiannonsense.com forward slash Lavender Tavern Submissions 
The Lavender Tavern is written by Jonathan Cohen and produced by Faustian Nonsense. Thank you for listening to the Saturday Story Circle right here on the Mutual Audio Network. Please consider subscribing to other days of the Mutual Feeds, including Monday Matinee for classic live and theatrical audio plays, Tuesday Terrors for horror audio drama, Wednesday Wonders, our science fiction and fantasy magazine, Thursday Thrillers for action, adventure, mystery, and crime drama, Friday Follies, our end-of-the-week comedy series, and Sunday Showcase, bringing you the very very newest in audio releases from the week from our United Artists of Audio, right here on the Mutual Audio Network. The Mutual Audio Network. Listening and imagining together. <laughs>